0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time I wanna talk a little bit about the organizational sentencing guidelines. I looked back through and it's been a while since I did uh, A specific podcast about the organizational sentencing guidelines, and I had some interesting conversations over the last couple weeks, and including a conversation just a couple of days ago with uh, our friend Roy Snell, and um, we're going to be having him back on the podcast here in the near future uh, to talk about his new book that just came out. Uh, But uh, one of the discussions uh, that one of the topics of the discussion that I had with Roy and with a couple other folks recently is the fact that. Um, although we talk about the sentencing guidelines quite a bit, there are some things that people don't seem to get out of the sentencing guidelines. And so today I'm going to talk about three things you might not know about the United States sentencing guidelines for organizations. The first thing is something that comes up quite a bit where people talk about uh, what are the rules, what are the what you know, what are the requirements. You know, what must we do for a compliance program? Well, uh, first and foremost, you have to understand that the sentencing guidelines only apply, spe- only apply very specifically to organizations that have been charged with criminal conduct and are being evaluated for sentencing. Uh, the, there are not rules that apply Uh, and must be enforced for all organizations. They have come to to become a standard. They have become the gold standard, the seven hallmarks, the sentencing guidelines, the uh, uh, best practices, the floor best practices that we all expect that organizations are going to do. But they don't actually apply unless you're standing in front of a federal judge. Or when I say you, I mean your organization. So that's something that I think people need to understand is that they are written in the context of an organization charged with a criminal, a federal criminal offense. And that uh, is important in some aspects because uh, one of the reasons the guidelines only go so far uh, in certain areas, like, for instance, uh, rather than talking broadly about misconduct, they talk about criminal conduct. It's because they only apply uh, they only are applied specifically in the context of a federal sentencing for an organization. Now I know that's a little esoteric, but it's actually important to understand that the guidelines and, 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 how, and how they become so important to compliance is actually by a common adoption and an understanding amongst the compliance profession that these are good standards to go by as a baseline at least. Uh, but they don't actually, they, they aren't enforceable, if you will, except that uh, they, become, they come into play and they are considered when an organization is being sentenced in front of a federal judge. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really understand. And it does uh, cause the guidelines to, again, stop short in some areas and talk more specifically about criminal conduct. A perfect example is when, you dis- when the guidelines discuss uh, the reasons why a person, the person or persons responsible for the compliance program, the compliance officer or whomever is responsible for the compliance program, can uh, should be able to to uh, uh, communicate directly with the governing authority or the board of directors. It, one of those contexts is criminal conduct. And not misconduct, not a violation of policy or procedure, which is actually probably best practice uh, in, in in that scenario, but criminal conduct, and that's the reason why. And it's important to understand that when you're reading the guidelines, because otherwise some of that might be confusing. The second thing you may not know about the sentencing guidelines, or second thing Uh, that I find often people don't understand, is that they apply to every organization. It's sentencing guidelines for organizations. That means nonprofits. That means uh, governmental agencies. uh, That means NGOs. uh, That means private companies, public companies, large and small. Uh, We've talked about this before, and I think that one of the common misnomers is that somehow these don't apply to an organization that is very small. Like, for instance, Moorhead Compliance Consulting. I'm very small. But it applies to me. It applies to anybody. Uh, Now, there is provision within the sentencing guidelines. If you look at the application notes under Section 8B 2.1, Uh, The application notes are at the end of the section. Uh, Application note 2C talks about the size of organization and the fact that uh, the expectation is that a large organization will devote more operations and resources uh, towards compliance and ethics. But uh, small organizations are to meet this guideline and they shall Demonstrate the same degree of commitment to ethical conduct and compliance with the law as large organizations. That's a direct quote. However, a small organization may meet the requirements of this guideline with less formality and fewer resources than would be expected of large organizations. So it's recognizing that smaller organizations have less resources and perhaps will have uh, less formality but that the commitment to ethical conduct and compliance will be the same. This is no sliding scale for compliance uh, uh, within the sentencing guidelines. It is the understanding that all organizations, whether you're public, private, nonprofit, governmental, small, large, uh, based here in the United States or based somewhere else, all organizations are subject to this and all have to have that commitment. That's the second thing that I think is sometimes overlooked. The third and last thing that you may not know about the sentencing guidelines, uh, organizational sentencing guidelines, uh, that I think is really important and also often overlooked or misinterpreted or misunderstood is one of the hallmarks of the sentencing guideline. Uh, And that's not having personnel uh, that have engaged in misconduct um, or uh, otherwise um, have engaged in illegal activities. Uh, it's uh, subsection B th- sub 3 of 8 A B 2.1 of the sentencing guidelines. And it reads, the organization shall use reasonable efforts not to include within the substantial authority personnel of the organization any individual whom the organization knew or should have known through the exercise of due diligence has engaged in illegal activities or other conduct inconsistent with an effective compliance and ethics program. Now, oftentimes I see this interpreted as meaning you can't have people in charge of the compliance program that have engaged in illegal activity or uh, conduct otherwise inconsistent with an effective compliance and ethics program. But that's not what this says. It says not to include within the substantial authority personnel of the organization. Well, what does that mean? Who, who's within the substantial, personnel, substantial authority personnel of an organization? Luckily, we have an application note, application note four, at the end of AP 2.1, which helps us better understand what this means, what this could mean. And again, I think that the misinterpretation that I most often see is that this is assumed to be not having people with uh, illegal activity in their background operating your compliance program, but this is broader than that. And and let's read uh, application note for uh, sub B. Implementation. In, implementation. in implementing this subsection, the organization shall hire and promote individuals as to ensure that all individuals within the high-level personnel and substantial authority personnel of the organization will perform their assigned duties in a matter consistent with the exercise of due diligence and in the promotion of an organizational culture that encourages ethical conduct and a commitment to compliance with the law. Now, why did this happen? Why has there been this confusion over the years? Uh, because we use high-level personnel uh, elsewhere uh, when we're describing who should be ultimately in charge of the program, that's under section two, Subsection B, where it says high-level personnel of the organization shall ensure that there is an effective compliance and ethics program, and specific in- individuals within high-level personnel shall be assigned the responsibility. So that's not all high-level personnel; just specific ones that will have the responsibility for the operation of the program, uh, and specific. And, and then it goes on to say specific individuals will have day-to-day operational responsibility. Uh, which may be, again, different from those high-level personnel that have specific responsibility. But what, uh, what's, what Section 3 is saying is that the organization has to use reasonable efforts to, to not, not to include within substantial authority of the organization any individual that has this background. And the note says that's people within the high level of the organization or substantial authority. Now, they don't define what substantial authority would be, but, you know, I think high level and substantial authority is something that you would have to uh, try to figure out if it ever became a question as to whether somebody was there. But uh, for some people, you know, if they're a vice president or a director or they have a substantial amount of authority uh, within the organization, I think they come under this. Um, So uh, one thing that uh, is in the sentencing guidelines that's uh, pretty clear to me is that we have to do due diligence on people within the organization that have authority over a certain level, substantial authority or at, or at a quote unquote high level uh, of the organization and make sure that we're comfortable that they are uh, free of, uh, uh, of, of the violations uh, and other misconduct that would disqualify them from that duty and that they can perform their assigned duties in a, quote, manner consistent with the exercise and promotion of an organizational culture encouraging ethical conduct and a commitment to compliance under the law. So uh, this is something again that I think is often overlooked, and I think this goes to um, our conflicts of interest disclosure process that we might have within our organization. Certainly, it goes to uh, any kind of uh, screening or uh, review of people that are applying for a position uh, where there's going to be substantial authority or they're going to be a high level of the organization. You know, this happens every, periodically. Will you will read stories in the in in the news? about somebody who has ascended to a high position in an organization who is for instance this has happened a couple of times who's lied on their resume about where they went to school or what their prior experience was um and obviously it, it I would not it doesn't surprise anybody to know that there have been people who have been hired for positions of substantial authority that had a criminal background that was not disclosed and was not found during any during the uh review or there was no review um, these are things that are are important and these are things that are covered uh, by this, uh, section three, this, this is one of the seven hallmarks of a set of a effective compliance program. But we often, again, I think kind of gloss over this one and don't really think about it too deeply, but what does that mean for an organization? What does that mean for your hiring activity and your search activity and your recruitment activity? What does that mean for promotions? Um, one of the questions that I often ask an organization when I'm working with them and reviewing uh, their, and assessing their compliance program is, what's the procedure? Uh, how is compliance involved in uh, the process for somebody uh, when they get promoted within the organization above a certain level? Is there a re-review or a re um uh, 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 uh of of their background a criminal background check rerun for for example to be very specific or is there a financial background check uh uh rerun at that point if they're taking on a position where they're going to have some financial responsibility for the organization um, it's surprising a uh, number of organizations where once you've been within, within an organization for a period of time, even, the, even as you're progressing very high up the chain of command to substantial authority or certainly high level, uh, that often these sorts of reviews um, aren't undertaken when somebody's promoted to that position. Well, that would be contrary uh, to uh, Section 3 and to this hallmark of the sentencing guidelines. So that's something, uh, that's the third one that I, I, I think that is often missed uh, I think people read it and say and, – and again, I think the kind of uh, uh, shorthand that this has become is that you can't have people who have a criminal background – Uh, operating your compliance program but it's much broader than that and and again I think the confusion comes from the language that's used the high level and substantial authority and the use of high level in a couple of different places within the guidelines but if you read it closely and you read it in in conjunction with the application note it's pretty clear uh, that it's much broader uh, application for subsection 3 than just those people responsible for the program so those are three things, three uh, uh, um, may, uh, items that maybe you did, maybe you didn't know about the organizational sentencing guidelines. Uh, that I think are kind of fundamental things and 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 interesting to know, but also perhaps helpful to understand when you're explaining the sentencing guidelines internally at your organization, or where you're trying to implement and sen- implement the sentencing guideline standards uh, within your within your organization when you're evaluating the effectiveness of your program. Um, I apologize a little bit for my voice this week. I'm a little croaky, uh, struggling through some some, uh, allergies here, seasonal allergies. I I, um, hopefully uh, will be back in uh, vocal fettle uh, by the next edition of the podcast. Uh, We have some interesting things coming up here. I mentioned Roy Snell. We're going to talk to him soon. Probably some other interesting things as we head on into summer. Spring is starting to wind up. Um, please stick with us. And as always, if you have questions, comments, uh, suggestions for future podcasts, or just want to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us at uh, uh, compliancebeat.com or moreheadconsulting.com. Or you can always email me directly at eric@moreheadconsulting.com. at moreheadconsulting.com. Always like to hear uh, from the listeners. Uh, please uh, stick with us and we'll uh, keep putting these out. Thanks very much. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.